Hello and welcome to Tonebender's Sound Design Podcast, where we talk with the sonic artists behind our favorite films, games, and series. My name is Timothy Muirhead and I will be your host today as we talk about the film that has occupied the entire pop culture zeitgeist for a good chunk of the year. Of course, we're talking about Barbie. Greta Gerwig's film about the titular doll that straddles both Barbie land and the real world does not immediately stick out as a challenging film for sound, but this film is a masterclass in world building through its audio palette. Barbie Land has its own unique soundscape that is very different from what we hear in the real world. And today we have three members of the sound team with us to talk us through how they made this film sonically soar. First up, we have the film's production sound mixer, Nina Rice. It's wonderful to meet you and have you on the show, Nina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm all biz, yeah, great. Awesome. We also have with us Barbie's two sound designers and supervising sound editors, Dan Kenyon and Eileen Lee. It's great to meet you, Dan. Thank you. Nice to meet you. I've had the pleasure of talking with Eileen on the show previously about her work on both First Man and Jojo Rabbit, so it's great to have her back. Eileen, welcome back to Tonebenders. Hi. Thanks. Uh, good to be back. Great. So uh, there's a sound designer and supervisor that I'm sure maybe you're aware of named Mark Mangini. And he told me that once, way back when he was starting his career, he got a job working on the Flintstones animated series. And on that show, he was told right away that there are very specific rules because the show took place in the Stone Ages. So no metal could be used, the sounds of it, because metal's not invented yet in the Stone Ages. I'm imagining some kind of rules for Barbie Land must have been come up as well because everything's plastic. What kind of rules for the sound in that world existed? In my early conversations with Greta, you know, for Barbie Land, you know, what we would hear, what would we hear? So uh, because nothing is alive and it's mostly interior world, we have to just think of like non-literal sounds uh, as much as we can. Um, the birds that you hear, they are like mostly not recordings of real birds. You know, we kind of had to, uh, uh, we've, we kind of recorded like a water-filled clay whistles that when you blow into it, it kind of like simulated this like a uh, bird chirp like kind of sounds. It kind of reminded us of like the bluebird calls in Snow White and other classic uh, Disney animation. Um, Greta also is really important for Greta f- uh, that Barbie Land sounds like pleasant and inviting. She used the term, she wants everything to feel authentically artificial. Um, even though we have to use like non-literal artificial sounds, um, they should still kind of feel realistic in a sense. I uh, hope that makes sense. Say even if they're at Malibu Beach, right? You have seagulls and waves. Greta and Nick Huey, the picture editor, you know, they kind of wanted it to kind of feel like it's a diorama at a museum. So uh, we kind of like found like canned loops of pleasant wave crashers, surf waves and pleasant seagulls. Uh, that's in the loop. That's no water in Barbie land. So would we hear water? We experimented and uh, say when Barbie's showering and she's drinking and spitting, we try adding sounds. Like I so saw like that would be speakers, you know, in the houses that you will hear, but like uh, of, of water, but it just didn't work. It felt awkward, uh, especially to Greta, to add to this whole rule of it needs to sound pleasant and perfect, we started using like uh, rain stakes when she's like showering. But when she spit, it's just the sound. You don't hear water sounds. But when like Ryan runs into the giant like plastic surf, we hear like an exaggerated like a 
plastic boy and to add to the playfulness of it uh, when he's like flipping through the air we added like a po- vocal performed sound that uh, it's like a vocal perform uh, imitating airy swishes like or even like when the planes goes by they don't want to hear no when you see a plane they don't, don't want to hear just a plane sound so uh, we would add like um, you know, uh, air buys and vocal uh, imitating like a plane by and, and maybe like a little subtle hint of like a harmonica. All in all, you know, um, no matter how we try to think out of the box and using non-literal sounds, we don't want to, the main thing is we don't want to take the audience out of the film and be like, what was that sound? Kind of needs to also sound realistic in a way. Yeah. What do you think, Dan? The plane is a great example, too, because one of the rules that that they had talked about early on and throughout the process was uh, nothing can sound too big and heavy in Barbie land. It's all got to be light and airy. And and we have that with with Barbie kind of floating off the dream house into the Corvette. And when she floats down onto the beach and the plane as well, we the first plane that we came up with was because it's a you know, it's a big plane whoosh and it's and it's filling the camera. So we did what I think most sound people do. We made like a nice big uh, plane whoosh sound. And then we had to figure out how to dial that back. And like Eileen was saying, use different elements that like, just don't use a plane, but make it sound like a plane. So that was, that was kind of fun and interesting. Uh, it's a, a small one, but there's no wind in Barbie land. So we don't, we don't have our normal like wind and trees. And so we had to really like on the quieter moments, find the right sounds to, to fill the space without being too literal like we would in the real world. Another f- fun little thing that we got to use, we got to do was Greta. I think it was Greta. She asked, um, one of her inspirations for the sound in Barbie land was kind of like those old, old Disney movies. So one of those aspects I linked talked about with the birds. Another thing that we did when Barbie's getting ready in the opening of the movie for perfect day was we were asked to, to have sounds like um, the bippity boppity boo in uh, Cinderella. Everything had to be sort of the perfect sound for the perfect day because every day in Barbie land is perfect and the Barbies are always having fun and they're never in a rush, they're never stressed, they're never angry, upset, or thinking about death until we get a little bit further in the movie and that changes a little bit, but... That was kind of the overall um, direction and feeling and vibe of setting up the world. Nina, what was it like recording in Barbie land? Like it must have been a very unusual set to uh, be wiring people up in. Yeah, I mean, the set, the stage which had the dream house on it, the like the dream houses were absolutely massive and also very open. So first thought of walking on to the sound stage was like, um, how are we going to boom these scenes? <laughs> What's going to happen? So um, my lovely two boom-ups were harnessed in. They were strapped in for the top bedroom scene and the middle shower scenes. Um, and they loved it because it wasn't their average day on set. So they had a great time. Um, yeah, I mean, it was great. We the we radio mic'd everyone as well, you know, and they they are some really tricky costumes. 
like <laughs> as you can see. Um, so hats off to my sound assistant, Laura, for doing all the radio mics and helping helpful costume department and helpful, um, very helpful makeup department as well. So we dressed the radio mics into the hairs, into wigs, um, sewn them into the costumes um, and sort of like envision but not envision because we're the only ones that know that Shh, so <laughs> say anything <laughs> um but yeah no it was a great experience i mean as well you walk onto that beach set and um it really looked like a beach um the it was actually made from plaster paris so the sand was actually hard um to walk on and there was rubber um bits that modeled that as well um for the flat feet moment and where she rolls and stuff that was great um yeah big big dance numbers i mean it's it's a musical throughout so capture and also having dialogue intertwined you know throughout um with dance sequences going on and capturing that you know clean we used in ear monitors um giving ear monitors to the artists and to the background dancers as well so everyone could keep in time and keep going while the dialogue happens and then cut everything and then goes to silence for do you ever think about death <laughs> <laughs> that's a great moment because that's the first moment when things go wrong <laughs> so can you can you let's go back to one of the first things you said there your your boom operators were floating in harnesses no they were harnessed in so they built like another ledge out from the dream houses so they were able to stand on that and then harness in and then but they could walk across the set when she walked across um, without, you know, falling over the edge. So we would lo lo lost them completely. <laughs> Do you have a picture of that? I'm going to, I need to go back through a few photos and see. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. From what I understand, a lot of the music came in at the last minute. So were you using just like click tracks on set or was the music there on set? We had the track that Mark Ronson wrote uh, before the lyrics were added. So it was just the music, the exact same beat, everything, tempo. Yep, it was delivered. And then everything was in time. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of pre-records as well, like Matchbox 20. That was pre-record. Um, and then for the cubicle chase, uh, did you guys have like a... Yeah, the cubicle chase. We had a metronome sound and blasted it through speakers so they could you know, do the hop in time to that, which was free. Yeah, so then later on in post, I think, um, you know, as, as that during through post, you know, um, the, the shape on like the uh, direction on the music, it kind of evolved. And I think like we would start hearing like, oh, so-and-so is going to write the song for the scene, so-and-so the song for that scene. And I think they kind of, the song that we ended up with that was original, for the cubicle chase, they may have like done it to a similar metronome uh, to what they have shot. So when the executives were like chasing her, you know, um, we could like also layer with like rhythmic, like um, it's almost like soldiers like running in time um, to that song. For sure. Yeah. So one of the things I really loved when I was watching the film is your sound effects. I think Eileen maybe mentioned this earlier, but there was a lot of vocal sound effects used that gave it kind of the feeling like when I was a kid and I would play with my uh, Star Wars or whatever, uh, or other people with Barbie, obviously, I would make my own sounds for the toys. 
And that kind of feeling comes into the movie through the use of vocal effects and sound effects uh, during the various scenes. How did that uh, idea kind of evolve? All discussing with like Nick and Greta, you know, uh, in what way can we make Barbie Land like more unique but still pleasant and fun? We we just kind of like started thinking about oh, like say we started off with say Tanner the dog, his barks. You know, typically you may just add like a dog, a real dog bark sound for him. I kind of like suggested, oh, how about we try like recording a little girl if they were to play with the doll, you know, they would like act up, like bark, bark, whatever. And then so we record all that and I kind of try to futz it like it's coming out from a little speaker out of tenor the dog. Then the picture department also like started thinking out loud and then like uh, we ended up with like a deadpan performance of a man just saying bark and wolf and uh it kind of like it was perfect because it's just there's a lot of like comedic moment kind of sounds in this movie and 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 that kind of like started this whole conversation about maybe we should try to use more of these like vocal sounds wherever we can it's almost like some of these like someone had mentioned like you know maybe it's like kind of like some of these older um I don't know, maybe 50s, 60s anime, I could be wrong, um, Japanese anime that, like, they, a lot of the effects, they use vocal sounds to cr- create. And uh, so we kind of took that rough idea, but we didn't want a whole world to be one way. So we just kind of experimented and say, like, you know, when, like, Alan is fighting the construction cans or the punches and kicks, we kind of layered some uh, big... Uh, beatboxer vocals during the travel montage you know we kind of like uh, uh, use like a you know, person like blowing their lips like lip flapping like bubbly kind of sound like that kind of thing or like the plane buys you know that have like a, one of the layers to have like a, a vocal perform like um, to mimic a plane going by uh, just anything just to add a touch of playfulness I guess damn yeah, no, that's that's cool that you picked up on that. Um, it, it was fun trying to figure out where and how we could use wishes. I think the only other thing, it's a very minor thing to add, is like we snuck them into some door opens and closes, just very subtle things. So, but very cool that you picked up on that because that was the that was absolutely the intention. There's actually really early in the movie something uh, when Barbie opens up her refrigerator door. There's like a like a sigh or something like that that I that I thought was really well done. It was unexpected sound. That was cool. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's it's uh that that's one of the that's a uh, that's a, also an early note, you know, um, uh from Greta. You know, we started off like you know, making things very plasticky, but you know, nice and cute. But, uh, but she wanted like say some of the things that the Barbies use to feel like you know sounds in the commercial. You know, like you know the idea is that when the audience sees the scene and the things that they're using, they'll be that. Want to feel like it's a commercial where you're going. I want that thing. She kind of gave us a note about like when we when she opens when Barbie opens the fridge, she's like, you know, it needs to sound refreshing, like cool air coming out. So I was like, well, let's just try a female just saying like when she opens the door, you know, just something odd and uh, you know, using trying to use non literal sounds that we gradually learned from as we were crafting like many different options on. Say for one thing, even one thing or one background in Barbie land, you know, we experimented with like many different versions of a sound. Um, even the sound of the plane, you know, it could be a, you know, 
sound of a lawnmower, the propeller plane, sorry, uh, the sound of a lawnmower or like a cartoon, like bubbly sound or, you know, um, so we try and experiment many different ways and, and then just picked through to see what would work better. So it did take a lot of work to come up with options. Uh, I think what's actually cool about the whole vocal breathing breath performances, it kind of exists throughout the movie uh, when right after the cubicle chase, right before the car chase, when Gloria pulls up, she does this big long exhale and we did like a kind of designy reverb thing of them like seeing each other. Um, and then at the end, when uh, Barbie's got the choice of, she gets given the choice to like go back to Barbie land or become a real person, we have this whole breathing uh, sound design sequence there. So it's kind of, it's a interesting, like it, it, it does different things throughout the movie. It's a, yeah. Yeah, it's really effective. <laughs> um, like we've talked yeah. about kind of the cutesy moments and the fun moments, but there are also really serious moments. And Nina, I'm wondering if you can tell us about what it was like being on set. Uh, there's a scene where one character has, I think it's over two minutes and 30 second long monologue about uh, the role of women in today's society. That must have been an intense scene to shoot. How many takes did it go on? Uh, how did you approach that scene? You couldn't hear a pin drop on that stage, you know? And I was just like, oh, this is what every woman wants to say, you know? Like, hi, Greta wrote it in, in the script. It was just, like, amazing. And tears build up in all our eyes, you know? And she was... An, she, America is just an absolute superstar and how she delivered that as well. And being there to capture that moment, you know, on, on set was just... A highlight of my career I must say um yeah I absolutely loved it yeah um takes wise I because it was quite a bit of coverage so it wasn't that much five or six yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Right yeah how, how, how many mic setups did you have um radio personal on her and then it would play um two booms because um oh. lightning and stuff and then one would take that piece of it and then you know but yeah, I have great, great, great boom, boom operators. Yeah, fabulous. Yeah, it's rare to let someone talk that long in a film anymore. Like, the, it's it's a powerful sequence just because of its... I, I, simplicity isn't the right word, but it's just rare that we l let someone just talk. Talk, and it's so raw, you know? And yeah. we're in that moment, mm -hmm. and tears. I, every time watching it, and I had to give my mommy a big hug and all when we went to see it. I was like, oh... Thanks so much. It's fun seeing it with the audience too. Sometimes, like uh, they, it just bursts out into applause, um, applause and gasps uh, as well. And yes, yes, that's yeah. what we want to hear. You know, it's exactly what we want to say. To go from uh, that moment, I, I we don't have much time left, but uh, I wanted to talk about a, a scene that is super fun, which is the Ken fight scene which has just an absolute chaos of silliness going on. But somehow the mix, final mix, comes out as crystal clear. How do you make the decisions of when there's 800 things happening on screen, what to focus on and what to push back? Dan, maybe do you want to start with that one? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question because, like you said, it's so chaotic. And when we start a scene, uh, we like for the, with the blank Pro Tools in front of us, especially a scene like that, you, your first instinct is you want to kind of cover everything. You want every like ball hit and every, you know, they're hitting each other with like pool inflatables. It's just the craziest fun things are going on there. 
that gave us a lot of opportunity to use different sounds and, and different kind of more fun and for lack of a better term, like cartoony sounds. I mean, Eileen and Kevin did an amazing job mixing that. Uh, it there's like there's just so much going on, but we were we were very careful sort of what to play and when, and it was just a it was a long process of of um, you know cutting things and playing back, and then on the stage with Kevin and Eileen, it's we were just tweaking that sequence the whole way through, and and those those Eileen, you and Kevin did a great job with wrangling all those elements. But oh, thank you. In a sense, that scene was like really fun for for us. Like uh, that beach battle, the Cannes beach battle. You know, in the script, I think I recall like Greta and Noah describing it as like uh, the Saving Private Ryan's uh, Omaha Beach landing scene, but with toys. Um, so no, they're like using frisbee, the uh, tennis rackets, and like uh, uh, toy arrows and inflatables instead of real weapons. So. Uh, for us, you know, say, you know, when we were cutting, we initially, when we were cutting it, we were like, okay, let's just cut it first without the music for the moment. So the idea is that, so it needs to sound like that iconic uh, Saving Private Ryan scene, but with like silly sounds <laughs> or like uh, um, uh, uh, wimpy mill walla sounds that's like a high pitched uh, screams or whining. That's not what you expect from like macho guys fighting. So anything that could help amp up the, you know, humor and the ridiculousness that we see. We blow into a PVC pipe, like a tube, to have that plastic resonance when the toy arrows are like, like flying by. Lots of like plunger sounds on different surfaces, uh, dropping like huge plastic bins to get that super big boings for the inflatables. Of course, being Candom, um, one of the sound palette that we created for them is um, they love horses. So there's a lot of horses and we also snuck in goats. Uh, it was one of those coincidental sound that we discovered when we were building in the layers of like Walla for Candom. But that's another conversation. Another fun part about it, it's also like the superpower, uh, the invisible superpower that like Sumu and Ken had you know, later on in the scene while they are singing. Up to that point, you know, because everything in Barbie Land sounds, we crafted things in Barbie Land to be like artificial but perfect. But most of the sounds that we use are mostly organic. So at this point, no, we are free to use like you know more stylistic, synthy design, bigger, more exaggerated, low end kind of sounds that we could then craft, especially at the end of it, to work with the music uh, when it swells and uh, ramp up the crescendos into the. Uh, dance ballet sequence and uh, as far as like the mix goes for that for that little sequence there you know um, because we kind of covered so many things in that scene and every shot has so many planes of action right and but the main driver of it is um, the music when Kevin and we were mixing we were like oh my gosh we don't know what we're following who we're following what we're supposed to look at so we had to pare down. We, we did several different versions of paring down. And, and we decided to just pare it way down until like we are like maybe missing things and started adding some more things in. Mostly it's about focusing and playing what the principal characters are doing so we can follow the story of it, uh, what we need to actually be focusing on, and uh, the occasional like close-up things that flies by because it's right in our face. As long as they don't fight against the, the music we could play. 
but yeah, the key moment still <laughs> for that sequence is um, the music. So we just had to like work sure. around it. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we have. So thank you very much for talking to me about it. Uh, congratulations on working on a worldwide phenomena of a film. Uh, it's one of those weird water cooler films that we don't really get like we used to, you know, 20 years ago where everybody I know has seen. I actually talked to someone the other day who hadn't seen it and we were almost shaming them. Like, what do you mean you haven't seen it? Everybody's seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good film. I mean, you know, it's it's ironically i think it's like it's not just it's, it's for both like male and female art it's just it's it's just all out fun um just uh have a good sense of humor about it and and then you know at the end of it it does give you and you know i mean at least for some of us me um that it it gets really emotional and and it's deeper and much more philosophical um than you think what a barbie movie would be yeah, it's definitely a much deeper film than I thought it was going to be going in. And in the screening I saw, uh, there were tears aplenty. I'll tell you that much for sure. So mission accomplished. Yeah. Okay. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thanks so much. Okay. Big thanks to Nina, Eiling, and Dan for that great interview. This episode was edited and mixed by volunteer listener Alex Wegman. Originally from Australia, Alex is a UK-based sound engineer who has been recording and mixing for audio in television, film, and radio projects since the early 90s. Currently working as an educator in sound production at a university in southern England, Alex has a particular interest in audio stories that are challenging, accessible, and open to potential for future immersive and interactive formats. He can be found online at AJ Wegman. Alex will also be getting a copy of the Sonic Springs Sound Library to say thanks for helping us out. It's a really cool library. Check it out yourself. Okay, keep an ear on the Tonemenders feed because we have a bunch of really great episodes lined up for the next couple months. I can't wait for you to listen to what's coming. My name is Tim Muirhead. Talk to you soon. Tonebenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.